You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's good to see you guys again. Yay! Yeah, it's been a good week. Good to, good to yeah. be back. Good to be here. I have something um, squirm-inducing this week for us. Ooh, yes. And Kirk, I don't know, you haven't, I don't think you've updated us recently on how the competition between our Canadian and Australian listeners is going. You know, I'm literally pulling up the the statistics right now so I can give you the exact numbers. Oh, Uh, good. Do do we want to jump right into that? Well... I, only, I mentioned this because I'm not sure how our Aussie listeners are going to feel about what I'm going to talk about right now. Oh, well, the contest is over. So Yeah, the contest uh, is straight up over now. Yeah. Wait, who won? Yeah, because it, it's have September now. So. Oh, was it only for... Okay. Well, here's yeah. the thing. I forgot yeah. it was time limited. Yes. So if you recall, uh, at the beginning of the summer, uh, mm-hmm. the order of where our listeners came from was United States first, then United Kingdom... And then uh, Canada, and then Australia. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we we're trying to say Australia. Can you can you edge out Canada? But also Canada. You know, don't don't give in without without a fight. Well, I have to tell you, I have these statistics for the month of uh, August. Yes. And in yeah. August. The number three country of downloads was Australia. Oh, so Australia actually edged out oh, Canada. Way that's to so go, exciting! Australia. Nice impressive, impressive work. Oh, now, man, I'm, I don't recall exactly what I said. If it was going to be the average of all three months, because um, if you look at like the last, you know, just June, July, August, mm-hmm. Canada did still, you know beat out australia over the course of the three months but in the last month australia really came on strong wasn't enough to like get into the top three if it averaged all three months but in that third month they really you know put on the gas and gave it the beans and uh (laughs) they got to number three so what's so exciting australia uh especially and uh we talk about australia quite a bit Maybe we do. We do. All our Australian listeners were staying inside because of the story I'm about to tell. Oh, well that Oh no. That could be. Let's find out. Well, our story starts in January of 2021 when our protagonist started feeling ill. And oh, we God. don't actually know her name, but I am going to call her Sue. Uh, Beautiful. Sue Sue was 64. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. She was 64 at the time, and she lived in southeastern New South Wales. Okay. And Sue had had some abdominal pain and diarrhea for about three weeks, and then she started getting a dry cough and night sweats. Oh, good. At which point she decided it was probably a good idea to go into the hospital. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. 
Doctors there were a little confused by her symptoms, but eventually decided that she had an unusual kind of pneumonia and uh, treated her okay. accordingly with steroids. I'm guessing that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds. <laughs> I don't know why they. Okay, sure. Okay, so she's on steroids <sighs> now. For a few weeks, her symptoms improved. Mm-hmm. Then she landed back in the hospital with fever and continuing cough. And mm-hmm. now scans showed that she had lesions on her spleen and her liver. Oh no. <sighs> and okay. she. Okay, so they did more tests. She tested negative for all the diseases than the ter- the parasites that they tested her for. Okay. Uh, More or less by process of elimination at this point, the doctors decide that she probably has a rare blood disorder where a certain type of white blood cell is produced in excess and causes problems in various organs. Kind of get caught up there. Okay. So the treatment for this is an immunosuppressant drug. And they also gave her a round of ivermectin, which is an antiparasitic, because there were, she had some travel history outside of the country Mm -hmm. uh, in previous years, not not recently, but before. And there were like a couple blood tests that indicated, well, maybe this like could possibly be indicative, uh, indicating a parasitic infection. All right, kind of covering their bases. Yeah, right. Over the next several months. Some things got better, some things stayed the same, but she was unable to get off the steroids without her cough flaring up again and some other symptoms. Huh. This okay. has all been dragging on for months at this point. In 2022, right. she then started experiencing forgetfulness and depression that started getting oh, worse no. and worse. Yeah, and this went on for three months nice. in 2022. She was eventually sent for an MRI of her brain, which showed she had a brain lesion. Oh, no. So they, they open her up for a biopsy, brain biopsy, and to the shock wow. of the surgeons and everyone else, what they oh, found no. inside the lesion no. was no, a worm. No. Ah! Oh, God, I saw this story, Victoria. Yes. Oh, oh this is so horrible. No. Gross. Yeah, I didn't realize what it was until the very end, and I'm like, oh, no, I saw this. Yes. Oh, no. A brain in the worm. Or a worm ah. in the brain. A worm in the brain. A thin, uh, red, like it. eight oh. centimeter long worm oh, that was alive. That is too and long. Wriggling. That is too long, Victoria. It's too long. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I have a hood. I'm going to close it now just to protect my brain. Okay, you just caused Rachel a turtle herself. I'm, I'm turtling. Sure from here. Turtling. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. <laughs> yeah. You'll be okay, Rachel. Uh, Our Australian listeners may not be, but you'll be okay. <laughs> they, were, uh, they were able to identify it through morphology and DNA as a parasitic roundworm. Oh, no. Fidascaris robertsi. Which normally uh, inhabits a snake called the carpet python, which is found in Australia and New Guinea. Uh-huh. So, okay. no, this is not a parasite that normally infects humans. So the carpet right. python is the definitive host. This, this, paras- this parasite, like many parasites, has a complex life cycle. The, right. The, sure. the carpet python is the definitive host. And when it's mature and it mates, then it sheds eggs in the snake's poop. And then right. the poop can be picked up by various small marsupials 
Mm. Or Sue. Or Sue. Or Sue. <laughs> um, uh. And then the marsupials are eaten by a snake and the life cycle restarts. Begins again. Yes. So how did Sue wind up with this parasite? Yeah. She had not been handling right. any snakes. She had not been swallowing small marsupials. <sighs> but um, it doing? is known that this parasite occasionally infects larger marsupials, birds, and non-native mammals. Uh-huh. The larvae don't tend to grow as well inside these animals. But the area Sue live, lived, lives mm-hmm. in is carpet python habitat. And okay. Sue also was in the habit of collecting a wild plant uh, called warigal greens to cook and eat. Kind of okay. like spinach. Oh, okay. Kind of like spinach. So they uh-huh. think they think what happened is that Sue collected some contaminated greens and either they didn't get cooked thoroughly or, you know, her hand through her hands, like oh. cross-contamination of her cutting board or whatever. She didn't wash them well enough. Yeah. <sighs> Ingested some worm eggs. Awful. Yeah. Gross. And the initial symptoms, the cough and so forth, were probably caused as the larva migrated through the various organs of her body. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> On the way to her Finding brain. Finding way to the brain. Yeah. God. Now, <sighs> Poor I don't Sue. like that at all. Of course, when I was reading about and researching this episode, I was also thinking about, Kirk, you're a delightful episode from a few months ago <laughs> oh, about pork tapeworms. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Which uh, also can wind up in your uh, brain. Um, uh, parasites but of course, are the worst. You know, this is, this is awful. It's like it happened recently. You're like, oh, this poor woman. Of course, pork, pork tapeworms are a much bigger public health problem <laughs> mm-hmm. than this snake roundworm because, one, right, right. humans are, in fact, the definitive host of the pork tapeworm. Instead of uh, an accidental host like poor Sue. And, you know, the snake worm doesn't even really want to be in humans because humans not going to get eaten by a carpet python. It's kind of the end of the road for that particular individual um, <laughs> parasite. But also humans have a lot more contact in general with pigs than carpet pythons, <laughs> although they are occasionally True. kept as pets. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, Sue just had a lot of bad luck all around. First of all, to encounter Truly. the parasite at all, and then to have it survive in her body, and then to have it go into her brain. The liver is normally where these hang out in their marsupial hosts. Um, and, you know, some Dang. hosts don't even wind up having symptoms. So this is really overall a un- pretty unlikely thing to happen to you, even if you live in Australia. Mm-hmm. But still... Okay. Um, other members of the same genus of roundworm affect snakes uh, in various other parts of the world. So just don't think just because you don't live in Australia, you're safe. Uh, this you know, is why I tell the children after you touch the snake, you have to you wash, wash your, your hands, hands before you eat food, lick your fingers, rub your eyes, or pick your nose. That and mm-hmm. salmonella, which is also that, not yeah, great. Same thing, yeah. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that if you go back more than a few decades, it's unlikely that what was going on with Sue would ever have been figured out. And yeah. that's yeah, still the that's case true. in many places around the world. So we, sure. we don't actually know how often this happens to people. What kind of... That's you so know, comforting. Thank yes, you. Yes, isn't Yay. it? I wanted to just leave you with that comforting thought. Great. 
All right. Well, in researching this episode, I relied heavily on the case report um, that was published in the September 2023 issue of Emerging Infectious Diseases and also um, an article from the New York Times about the case. Thanks, oh, Victoria. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thought you would love that. Um, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, it will be Kirk. All right, everybody. So we talk a bit on this show about taxonomy. In fact, I kind of dabbled my toe into it last week talking yeah. about the wasps. Yeah, That's where scientists put animals into groups and name them. It's actually something we all do all the time, though. So when oh, yeah. we see something, we automatically do a little taxonomy. We see movement in a tree and we look up. Our brain immediately takes in the, in the information. And assuming we got a good look at the critter, we know if it was a squirrel or a bird. We might mm -hmm. even know that it was a gray squirrel or a gray catbird if we know a little bit about animals. And since this podcast isn't a visual medium, uh, when we have a weird looking animal, we often show a picture to our co-hosts and ask them to describe it to the audience. And usually what happens is a little taxonomy. We'll start off by saying, well, uh, it's a bird. Um, it mm -hmm. looks brightly colored. Uh, it's probably tropical. It's got a large bill likely for eating fruits. It reminds me of parrots I've seen before. So uh, it's probably... A, a, a parrot. parrot. Yeah. Well, I came upon an animal this week that's not a parrot uh, that I want to share with you. And I'm hoping we can go through that same process for the audience. I okay. want you to describe it for them, but also take a stab at figuring out where you would place this animal oh. taxonomically. This will be fun. Oh, um, and it's not. No, it's, it's not. And it, I'll, you'll be surprised when I show it to you here. It's not a super, super weird looking one. Here you go. Okay. So. This it's is already, it's, it, why do you think it's a mammal? I think it's a mammal because it looks furry and it has uh, four legs with. It has a long claws, tail. Long tail. Yeah. yeah well spotted. It, mammals like the boom. The that's pretty easy right there. It is a mammal. Yeah. 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 It's. <laughs> yeah. Then there's some hesitation after that. So I, I will say, Kirk, I think I know this critter. Yeah, I recognize okay, we'll this see. critter. I think I know this critter in the fur. I'm. So, forgetting what it is, but I've definitely seen this before. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's got. Can you can so you describe know, it for the audience a bit? So the fur overall is brown, like it's got when, short brown fur, like a very mm -hmm. like the most brown, almost like chestnutty. Uh, it seems to be a kind of a medium brown over all of the top part of its body. Maybe it's a little lighter underneath. It looks yeah, like, like kind of chestnut orangish on its chest. Mm -hmm. but it's a little hard to tell from the picture. It has a long, mm -hmm. strong-looking tail, and um, has relatively. Oh, its pa its paws. The toes look very distinct, like they're more separated in some cases. Um, the okay. face looks. Yeah. What What would that What would that remind you of? Like. Uh, um. Like what sort of group has feet like that? Like, uh, I mean, they don't look like hippopotamus no, feet, kind right? Of. They look a little bit no, like dog no. feet, but the toes are more separated. Toes are more, yeah. So it's which makes me okay. think cat, but it's not definitely, it's definitely claws on there. Cat shaped, although a little bit longer than a typical cat. It has fairly short ears that are, um, kind of curled, yeah. got brown eyes. It has really long, whisk really long whiskers. Yeah. 
It also reminds me, its face reminds me, and overall shape reminds me of a weasel almost as well. It has a fairly long body. Like it looks much bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It looks much bigger than a weasel, but. But it does have a long body similar to the weasel family, mustelids, and relatively Mm -hmm. short legs. Yeah. My first reaction was that it had almost like a tail like an otter. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. the fur looks very short and kind of dense. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of like the the legs and claws. I kind of thought of like a large cat. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. head is like yeah, kind of cat-like, but almost the eyes are almost remind me of like a lemur or something. Like yeah. there it's just like you look at it and you go, Well, this isn't a super unusual yeah. looking animal, or but like I just a can't fisher. really place it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The overall the overall shape of the body is fairly cat-like or sort of a cross between a cat and a an otter <laughs> yeah and the yeah, head absolutely. seems disproportionately otter, small muscled, yeah it does yeah well what you are looking at i would i would put it in the feline okay, yeah. category i'm gonna go well, up on uh, what wind. you're looking at is the fossa and this is the fossa. top pr- predator yes. on the island of madagascar and yes <gasps> This is the animal yeah, is. in the DreamWorks movie, Madagascar, uh, sort of the, the bad guys. But I do have to admit, I've never actually bothered to oh, yeah, watch yeah. that movie. I haven't seen um, it. Okay, good. So I haven't seen it in a long thing, it time. It came out long after I was a kid, but before my kid was born. So like, it fell into this weird time when I wasn't watching mm-hmm. movies like that. So quick geography lesson, uh, Madagascar is the world's fourth largest island and is located off the eastern coast of Africa. It's slightly larger than California, and it is one of the most biologically diverse places on Earth, as it's been split off from all other land masses for over 90 million years. So wow. 90 million years ago is when it split off from like Absolutely the Indian wild. subcontinent, and it split off from Africa as well, like a, something like 180 million years ago. Like It has been isolated for a long, long time. So imagine if California... Mm-hmm somehow completely split from North America and then was isolated for 90 million years, you can imagine things are going to look different than everywhere else on Earth. Yes. So the fossa is pretty interesting. It looks cat-like, like you said. And if you look at how it has been classified, it's in the class mammalia, which you being nailed right away. It's a mammal. It's in the order carnivora. So it's Mm -hmm. a carnivore. And then in the sub sub order, it looks carnivory. For felines. Okay. So, yeah. I, I will say the yeah. pause there though. Don't celebrate too much. Feliforma does include cats, but also cat-like animals such as hyenas, mongooses, something called nah. uh vivarids, uh, which we should talk civets. about on the show sometime. Uh hmm. yeah, and after the civids as well. So yeah, like, we should. When you look at the order of carnivora, the two suborders that exist are basically cat-like creatures or dog-like creatures. I think it's yeah. just kind of how we decided to div- divvy up the carnivores. Uh, it's like, ah, oh, these things are kind of cat-like. Those are kind of dog-like. Feels... And we'll just nah. shoehorn everyone into one of those two groups. <laughs> um, the, yeah. Feels the about right. The family <laughs> the fossa belongs to, though, is uh, Eupleridae. And the family is unique to Madagascar. So the wildlife oh, wow. on Madagascar is so unique that this okay. family of animals is found nowhere else on Earth. So they're really not closely related to much else why uh, there's been lots of debate about what they are related to because they have to be related to, to something uh, but the decision was uh-huh. made just to finally give them their own group and from what i could tell they split from other animals so long ago 
it's been really difficult to figure out like who their closest relatives are uh, because they just they're just kind of doing their own thing. And that's why this animal is so hard for us to place just by looking at it. It isn't like super bizarre looking like alien or anything. It looks like a four legged mammal that's maybe kind of catish like. Um, but it's really not that similar to anything else on Earth outside of Madagascar, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, that's now, really interesting. This that's is so the cool. largest predator uh, on Madagascar. And there are some wild myths and stories about the fossa that come from the people who have lived with it for centuries. And while I certainly value local knowledge of animals, it should be pointed out, some of these turn out to be more myth than reality. Uh, or completely myth <laughs> rather than reality. Uh, top predators around the world are often vilified. Uh, looking, you know, looking at the big bad wolf, you know, from Europe, for example. Uh, but on Madagascar, one local legend tells that a single lick from a fossa just a lick is so toxic and magical <laughs> that it will put you into a trance-like sleep what? just from being licked just once by them. And this trance-like sleep is so deep that no one will ever be able to wake you up. And if that isn't bad enough, once you are asleep, the fossil Whoa. will tear you open, eat just your intestines, and leave the rest of you to just bleed to death. Good God. Oh my god. Luckily that doesn't god. happen though. That's but that's like a, <laughs> a, a one story out there. Uh-huh. Um another legend is that they can give off a powerful smell. Uh and they, they do have a bit of a smell about them. And the theory or story was that this smell was so powerful, just the smell alone could kill your poultry if they were even just to smell a fossa. So clearly wow. they're being, you know, vilified by people who've had their their chickens die and whatnot. Um, I think they very well actually will uh -huh. eat poultry, um, cause their diet is, is very varied. Uh, they seem to eat kind of whatever is handy. They eat tenrex, which we've talked about on the show, uh, but also shrews, seeds, fruit, yeah, lizards, did. birds, uh, and famously, and this ties into the movie Madagascar, uh, lemurs. Uh, they uh -huh. are one of the major predators of oh, lemurs yeah. and the only animal on the island that eats the largest of the, the lemurs that are found in Madagascar. So that's all really cool. Um, the ring are you ready for the really weird stuff? Oh, yeah. All right. Yes. No, it wasn't well, it was, already? Here's a few facts to round it out that I'm guessing. Um, again, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm guessing none of these were in the cartoon. All right. Again. <laughs> okay. I can't verify that's that. I haven't seen it. Not. But that's my theory. So, uh, yeah. So young female fossa uh, actually grow a pseudo penis. Out of their clitoris, uh, it turns into that pseudopenis. Hey, uh, this is like before their kind of like a hyena, mm -hmm. but a hyena's um, yep. is stays with them. This actually yeah. disappears once they become sexually mature, which is quite yeah. interesting and unique uh, to fossa. And they think it is either to stop huh. them from being harassed by males, um, since they're not sexually mature yet, or to make them seem like they're not a challenge to the right. other females. Uh, researchers aren't quite sure which of those two reasons, but pretty interesting. I'm pretty sure that one was not in the film, right? Nature's chastity belt, basically. Okay. That is yeah. not in the film. Um, also, yeah. probably not in the film, oh is that God. fossa mate in trees. And what happens oh. is a female will select a mating branch high up in a tree, and she makes these mewing noises to attract males. The, a bunch of males come around, maybe I think, honestly, there's like a uh -huh. dozen or so, and uh, they will roar and make all kinds of noise oh and actually God. fight each other on the ground uh, for the right to be the one who can climb the tree 
and mate on the branch. And she gets to choose who the, who the, who the victor is. Uh, the actual mating on the branch, uh, mm-hmm. which, by the way, has got to be so precarious because it's acrobatic. That sounds yeah, like not a, a big branch. Hell of a uh, balancing but act. It's there. even more impressive when you realize that it's a bit of a marathon that can last for three hours per copulation. Oh, wow. uh, this is likely wow. partly or mostly because the male, like in a lot of species, has backward facing spines on his penis. So separating uh, no. is uh, mm. tricky, tricky, shall we say. I imagine falling off the branch would also be unpleasant Ugh. for multiple reasons. Yeah. And apparently they don't just mate once. I don't think it sounds like a good idea. Uh, they actually go for a marathon session consisting of multiple matings with the same male. An entire Gosh. session may last up to 14 hours. Sounds exhausting. Whoa. Like I said, also likely not I'm in tired. the dream work <laughs> film. Okay, last weird one. Uh, the scientific no. genus uh, for the fossa is Cryptoprocta. So how's your Latin? Any guesses well, what that means? I Crypto means sort of hidden, right? Correct. And Procta? Procta. So like... What words? Proctologist. Correct. It means anus. So, uh, <laughs> oh. their, their genus is the hidden there anus genus. Uh, they have a special anal pouch that I guess covers their anus, which gives them this bizarre name. I should say the species name is Ferox, uh, which means ferocious. So, uh, basically their full name means ferocious hidden anus. <laughs> ferocious Which sounds like a, anus. I don't know, like a punk band name or something. Anyways, uh, that's what I got. Uh, my sources this week were FactAnimal.com and Wikipedia. That's a time. Well, that was enlightening. Thank you. Just, yeah, just a lot of stunned silence after that one. Thanks, Kirk. You're welcome. Uh, we're going to go to a break here, <laughs> and we come back. Uh, it'll be Rachel. Hey, before we get to our Rachel story, we do have more listener uh, letters. We've got some comments on the show. Both of these came through the Podbean app. That's a really popular way for people to be uh, messaging us. One of these, actually both of these are from the same episode, uh, which was the one about maned wolves from just a little ways back. Oh, yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah, and um, a listener who's written this before, uh, Homem Salamandro, the human salamander, uh, who lives down in Brazil, wrote us to tell us that down in Brazil, uh, they apparently put the maned wolf on one of their bills for their currency. Huh. And oh. that was super. I had no idea that was on, on the money. I would have included that cool. in the show had I known. Thank you for letting us know. Uh, they did say that they remember that people were complaining about it because it looked so weird and lanky. And they're like, who did this drawing? <laughs> uh, but then people were like, no, 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 no. It's supposed to look <laughs> like that. That's what they look like. Uh, which was a great little anecdote. Oh, yeah. I just, and then and that's what they look like. I Go just ahead. Googled an image of the of the currency. That's cool. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, another comment on that same show, A.L. Val or Valley, I think it's Val, uh, said, our zoo actually has maned wolves. I didn't know about their smell at the time. And I will remind you guys, they smell like oh, I cannabis. saw this comment. Uh, yeah. So they didn't know about the smell at the time. And I came upon them as a group of young people uh-huh. were already at the exhibit. 
I truly thought they had just gotten baked in their car. <laughs> I visited again a few weeks ago and realized the smell was coming from the wolves. Oof. Sorry, guys. I wonder if you thought the same of me. I imagine everyone who goes to the zoo and sees them is just like, man, everyone here is just baked out of their mind. What is going on? But no, that's just the smell of their urine. So thanks for writing in, everybody. Always uh, fun to hear from you. You can uh, send us comments uh, either Amazing. on the Podbean app or at contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. Uh, we'll hear from you guys soon. And uh, let's get to Rachel. So this topic that I, I'm talking about this week, it reminds me of... I. I gave a little clue mm -hmm. last week, like the smallest clue. Yeah, you mentioned a little something. I mentioned that I was thinking about one of our older episodes um, with the golden digger wasps and things. And right, right, right. the reason why is because my topic this week actually reminds me of a topic I covered about oh, okay. very, 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 very early on. I think it might have even been... It wasn't the first episode, but it's definitely within the first 10 when I talked about the freshwater bryozoan. You yes. all remember oh, that. Yeah, the, the, like the brain. I like, think we promised that right? we were going to take a picture yeah. of me holding one and then we never did it. <laughs> we haven't done it yet, but there's still time, Victoria. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so the topic that I have this week is on a much larger scale and hilariously, it's in the ocean. Who would have guessed? So we're going to talk about oh, it today. Oh, who would have guessed? Shocking. Ah, no one. So this is very similar to the freshwater bryozoan. Today, I'm going to talk about a very specific tunicate. So a tunicate, for all of our listeners, is a marine invertebrate. Uh, such as like sea squirts, for example, if anyone knows okay. what that is. But what makes it different than most invertebrates is that they do have a type of spinal cord. They just don't have physical bones or like a, a, a bone structure or anything covering that That's spinal right. They're cord. They're chordates, but not vertebrates. Exactly. Oh, and it's, weird. That's okay. already wild and weird. Yes. So this specific tunicate is colonial, very similar to that freshwater bryozoan, and the individuals like that bryozoan is called zoids. Okay? And they're all very so, small. They're Okay? So we're back to like zoids. They look Okay. Um, no, but there has been... Right. Uh, there have actually been... Uh, they've been related to um, the Borg, actually. Which is oh. hilarious. Okay. <laughs> By a marine biologist. So there is that. Uh, they also, like All this, right. absolutely. So this particular tunicate, uh, this colony of tunicates, when they're all together, look very similar to jellyfish at first. At first. Mm -hmm. um, but because they are, they have. Uh, that spine, or not a spine, but they have the the spinal column or uh, spinal cord, rather. Notochord. They're actually right. closer related, the notochord, 
is they're more closely related to humans than jellyfish, but they have a similar gelatinous type nature to them, uh, which is really cool. Yeah, wow. Uh huh. This particular species lives in the upper layers of the pelagic ocean, like which means open ocean, uh, and they generally live as a colony. And this colony is generally either cylindrical or cone-shaped. Now, these colonies are composed of hundreds, sometimes thousands of zoids. Uh, and they're all held together by something called a gelatinous tunic. <laughs> oh, why, Rachel? Why not? Well, apparently divers who have come across this uh, tunicate have said that it feels very soft, like a feather. And I think that's partially because it's gelatinous and you're in the water, so it feels very soft yeah. and smooth. But they're okay. all together by this, um, held together by this gelatinous tunic. So that's fun. Now, here's the thing. No. <sighs> now, here's the thing. I haven't said the name. Uh, this group, uh, this colony, they are called the giant pyrosome. And the Say reason, the Wait, giant what, what? pyrosome. Giant pyrosome? Yes. Okay. And oh, scientists okay. do actually call them, uh, apparently some scientists call them the unicorns of the sea, which is hilarious. Okay. Uh, because I guess they call them because that because of how big they get and the fact that they're so, because of their colonial nature and how they move, they really go through the ocean based on the current. So they're floating through their filter feeders. So they're taking in water on both sides because they're generally a cone or a tube. And so they're sure. taking in water and filtering in. They're one of the most um, efficient plankton eating filter feeders, which is really cool. Wow. But here's the thing. <laughs> They can get up to 60 feet long. What? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, a really large okay. gelatinous So tunic. that is um, 12 Rachels. Most little like sea squirts and stuff are these really cute little tiny things. I mean, they are cute little tiny things. They just, 60... uh, in a colony, they get up to 18 meters or 60 feet long. Sure. Like, Oh my god. So uh these that's, that's huge. Uh scuba divers have been able to swim through these giant what? pyrosomes. They are able to swim through them. They've been equated actually also like a giant windsock but in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So god, you know that's that's not quite as big but that's that's approaching Mm -hmm. The size of an adult blue whale. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's which is the largest, you know, uh, animal on earth, basically. So, I mean, pretty I, much. I mean, again, this is a colony, so it's different, but yeah, it's a colony. Like, that's nuts. Isn't that wild? Wow. <laughs> so, they are 
huge they get the colony itself gets huge and because it's a colony the way that each colony works is they're able to either asexually produce um, or if they come across another giant pyrosome they are able to like sexually reproduce and all the zoids are hermaphroditic so they produce both sperm and eggs so it doesn't quite matter um what is happening like they can sexually reproduce with the other giant pyrosome and then they re they can reproduce if they get cut into pieces at all or split up they can just regrow so technically sure because it's just a colony it's just colonies so technically these colonies are like immortal because the colony yeah, itself be, will ancient, yeah. keep going wow. and going and going no matter what, which is wild. Oh so, well, and some of these, I think they found some of these, like, I don't know what the species you're talking about, but mm-hmm. the same type of things going back for hundreds of millions of years. In the oh, fossil yeah. Records. So, I mean, yeah. they have been around wow. this whole time, just hanging out, doing their thing. Pretty yeah. efficient design. So this is, uh, it just gets down to the uh, genus. It doesn't go down to species specific necessarily. So the genus is Pyrosoma. Um, Now, Kirk, how good is your Latin? I know Victoria's is better. What do you got? Well, think about the word Pyrosoma. Pyro makes me think of fire. It's fire. And Uh some is like body. Yes. There's a reason why it's called a Pyrosome. It's because they are brightly luminescent. So they are bioluminescent <gasps> what? on top of being 60 giant. 60 foot long bioluminescent tube? Yeah. Oh. Like a pale blue green light, which can be seen for tens of meters, which is <laughs> wild. Yeah. So like it oh. often looks like a wave of light moving through the pyrosome. Oh, man, it must be so I would amazing love to, to see one of those. swim with them if it, it wasn't that cookie cutter sharks might also take a bite out of me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, a little call back there. <laughs> nice yeah, yes. so it's, it's just really cool because the, the waves move with the colony and they're not propagated by neurons, but a, a, some sort of stimulation of light. Sure, um, that makes sense. They're still not 100% shirt. Sometimes it's... Uh, in response to something touching them, which is really cool. Sure. Uh, generally speaking, it's uh, these occur in the Pacific, so it's very wild. That like, can you imagine coming across this in the open ocean? Just this giant tube-looking no. thing, and it you touch it and it starts producing this blue-green light, like in like waves, like flashing. I'm Absolutely down to check it wild. out. I'm just not sure. Where do I go in the ocean to see this, Rachel? Uh, generally speaking, the North Atlantic would be oh. where you'd find them. Yeah. I'm not near there, but I could be further. Exactly. So they're really, they're just so cool. It is very fun. And I just wanted, I saw these huge zoids, these huge uh, the, the fact that it was 60 feet long and everything and people can swim through it was just wild and I wanted to share that today. That's awesome. Um, I was not familiar with that. Thank you. Is yeah. there any thought that these could be one of the creatures that's behind the serpent legends? 
entirely possible, not from the research that I was doing, um, mm-hmm. but it could be, yeah. I mean, or even some ideas about the sea being kind of magical. If you're seeing these lights and things from underwater, mm-hmm. like what is it like? Especially if it lo- wow. it's gelatinous, like you won't necessarily be able to tell that it's something in there. It's just this moving, right. flashing thing. Wild. Wow. Uh, so very cool. Very fun. So my sources this week, uh, I had an article from the Atlantic, Wikipedia, um, Oceana.org and c-i-m-i dot org that's what i have for you this week that's so cool, cool. thank well, you thank you that yeah. was great we'll see everybody yeah, next we'll, week for more right next yeah week. thanks everyone for listening we will see you all next week bye all right bye thanks everyone for listening to today's show be sure to subscribe new episodes drop every wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.